Amen. You can remain standing for the reading of Scripture. Passages Luke 11, verses 14 through 28, if you have your Bible. It's printed in your bulletin as well. Luke 11, 14 through 28. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided kingdom falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, how, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes... It finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it always goes out and accomplishes its purposes through your spirit and never returns empty to you. And we pray that today, this morning, uh, that your word would penetrate our hearts, that we would respond to it by faith, that we would put our hope and our trust in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that all of this will be uh, through your spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We don't have to know much about history to know that the United States played a big part in both World War I and World War II, but what you may not know or what you may have forgotten is that the U.S. actually tried to stay out of both wars. We have a long history of what is called uh, non-interventionism or avoiding foreign entanglements, another way to put it. And so we didn't enter the two great wars of the 20th century Uh, until our hand was forced in in the First World War by German U-boat attacks and in the Second World War by the famous attack on Pearl Harbor. So we didn't push our way in. We sort of got pulled in. Uh, Once we got in those wars, we were all in, of course. I'm sure uh, some of you were either a part of that or affected by that uh, in significant ways. Uh, But in reality, we tried to remain neutral as long as we could. And yet, it is very very difficult to remain neutral when there is a war going on around you. Uh, Neutrality in geopolitics is really tough to achieve. But what we find in this passage of Scripture this morning is that 
neutrality in spirituality isn't just hard to achieve, it's completely impossible. So I'll say that again. Neutrality in spirituality is utterly impossible. In other words, in the great war that is raging right now between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, there are no neutral players. No one's in the middle. Uh, No one's above the fray. No one can just sort of stay out of it. And this morning, you are a member of one of those kingdoms, either Christ's or Satan's. And so that's what we'll think about this morning. Uh, Three questions that we're going to look at in this passage. First, whose kingdom? Second, whose house? And third, whose blessing? Here's what we'll find. The coming of Jesus Christ forces us to choose. Either we're a part of the kingdom of God or we're a part of the kingdom of Satan. So first, whose kingdom? Well, Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem uh, and the tension with the Jewish authorities is really building. Jesus is dealing with a man who is demon-possessed and this man has been made mute by the power of the demon. And so Jesus carries out the healing. He exercises the demon by force, by force of his divine will. But then something interesting happens. The crowd is divided in their response to the miracle. Uh, Some marvel. They're slack-jawed. They're amazed. They're delighted at what they've seen from Jesus. But some of the other people there have a different response. Luke simply says some of the crowd, but we know from Matthew and Mark who tell the story as well, that the some that he's talking about are actually the Pharisees and the scribes. So here's what they say, verse 15. He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Still others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Well, what's happening here? Well, it's tempting probably for many of us to say, uh, well, we've got some stick-in-the-mud Pharisees, and this is, this is sort of how they act. And they're taking some shots at Jesus. They're getting chippy. And now Jesus has to put them in their place. If you've read much of the Gospels, then you've seen this happen a lot of times, right? This is generally how it goes. And so I think we get a little bit jaded maybe with this interplay between Jesus and the Pharisees. So it's a little bit of, well, here we go again. Um, But I want to express to you that that's an underreaction to what's happening right now. Here's what's actually happening. Uh, If you remember the scene in Braveheart, when the two armies come, there's sort of a camera in the middle, if I I remember it correctly, and the two armies come and they, they clash in the middle. And there's this explosion. It's just this catastrophic meeting of armies, and that's what's happening right now. The kingdom of God is in a melee, a showdown with the kingdom of Satan, and Christ Jesus is behind enemy lines. And he's just rescued this man, he's just ripped this, this demon possessed prisoner of war from the kingdom of Satan, and the devil and his followers hate it. And they hate Jesus, and they want him dead. And so the battle is really on in this uh, group of unbelievers, the Pharisees and the scribes, they try to return fire, okay? But they're they're confused. (laughs) Satan is so uh, tricksy, he's so underhanded and so subtle 
that he's actually convinced them that they're on the other side. Right? So they think they're on God's side, and they know that Jesus is on the other side, and they hate him. And so they accuse him of collusion with Satan. They say, you cast out demons by the devil, by the prince of demons. And so if you've ever seen the movie Sandlot, it's got a lot of movie references uh, here quickly, hang with me. If you've ever seen the movie Sandlot, there's the, the two teams of boys are yelling at each other, and they're yelling all these insults about each other's mothers. And then finally one yells, will you play ball like a girl? There's a silence. It's like the ultimate insult. That's kind of what's happening right now. Uh, these are ordinary people, sinful people, who just witnessed this otherworldly power, and there's no denying it, and they don't know how to respond And so they just fire back with everything that they've got. They understand that Jesus has just healed this man, and and that demands a response from them. You can't just sort of go whistling back to your tent after this. You can't just sort of go about your business. And so refusing to entertain the notion that Jesus is Lord, they accuse Him of being in league with the evil one Himself. Really, it's kind of unsurprising. I mean, Satan is the accuser, and now his followers, who are sort of junior accusers or apprentice accusers, are just trying to do what he does, and they turn their sights on Jesus because they hate him. And so it's not just a smear campaign. We're in the middle of election season, right? We know what a smear campaign looks like. So it's like, that guy hates children, and... This guy stole all this money. But there's something more going on here. Uh, They're accusing Jesus of sorcery. They're saying that he should be stoned. Or out of the same unbelief, they ask for a sign from heaven as if they didn't just see one. Or as if they didn't believe that Jesus himself is standing before them, that he is the ultimate sign from heaven in and of himself. So how does Jesus respond? He's he's under fire. He's getting shelled right now. He basically says, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't always respond to the the arguments, right? And and the way he responds to the Pharisees, but he does to this one, maybe because it's so unbelievable. It's so far-fetched. He basically says, that's absurd. If what you're saying is true, and if I'm in league with the devil, if I'm casting out demons by the prince of demons then the house will be divided, right? I will be undermining my own kingdom. Moreover, he says in verse 19, if I'm in league with Satan, what about your sons who claim to do the same thing? In other words, it seems like some of the followers of the Pharisees and the scribes have been uh, casting out demons themselves. I don't think they actually were in the way that the crowd is reacting to Jesus. I think maybe they were just claiming that, but Jesus points out their inconsistency And he shows them the alternative in verse 20. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What if the kingdom is actually here and you're blind to it? What if God is in your midst, but you hate him because you've never really had affection for him? And he goes on to explain what has happened here uh, by a parable in verses 
21 and 22. And in this parable, Satan is a strong man. He's guarding his own palace, his own goods. But Jesus is a stronger man. And he attacks. And he overpowers him. And he takes all that he has. And he divides it amongst his people. It's a picture of what's actually happening in the spiritual realm. Remember, Jesus had conquered Satan in the wilderness. He had countered every attack. He had walked out of the desert victorious so that the first thing he says when he gets out in, in Mark 1.15, he says that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, Jesus Christ is the commander of, of his kingdom and he's on the war path and he smashes the stronghold of Satan and he sets the prisoners free. He plunders and rescues. He's the conquering king. Not just that day in the wilderness and not just this day, but even today and even in your life, the battle is still raging. That's why verse 23 is for us especially. Jesus looks up He looks at this group and he sums up the state of things with this. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Everyone, Jesus says, every single person is a part of this clash of kingdoms on one side or on the other. On October 30th uh, in 1938, that was a Sunday night, uh, a actor named Orson Welles began his War of the Worlds radio show. This was before Orson Welles became famous for Citizen Kane. Many of you have heard of that. It's a famous movie. Uh, War of the Worlds was one of the first science fiction books that had ever been written. Uh, and it was the first to depict an alien attack on America. And so Orson Welles decided he was going to adapt this for the radio. And so Sunday evening in 1938 was like golden age of radio. There were millions of people who had tuned into this. Um, the only problem is that most of them tuned in too late to hear the sort of caveat at the beginning of the program that this was an Orson Welles show, essentially. And so they, they flipped on the radio, and all they could hear is this announcer describing a Martian uh, emerging from a spaceship that had crash-landed in New Jersey. And so the announcer says, something's wriggling out of the shadows like a gray snake. I can see the thing's body now. Their eyes are black and they gleam like a serpent. The mouth is V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips. So the announcer goes on to describe the aliens mounting these walking war machines and they kill all these National Guardsmen uh, soon Martians are reported to be landing in Chicago and St. Louis, and they're killing everyone in sight. America panicked. You can understand. Uh, it's possible that up to a million people thought this was an actual alien attack. And so New Jersey highways were completely jammed with people. Um, people ran and hid. People begged policemen for their gas masks. Uh, one woman ran into a church in Indianapolis and screamed that New York had fallen. It's the end of the world. She yelled, go home and prepare to die. In other words, people were acting like a fake war uh, was real. But Scripture says that we actually have the opposite problem. 
we look at a real war and we think that it's fake. We respond to a real war, the war of these spiritual kingdoms, as if it weren't real. And that's why we go long stretches without repenting. And that's why we dilly-dally in God's Word and we pay it lip service, but we don't really apply it to our hearts. And that's why we harbor bitterness in us towards our spouses and our children and our co-workers and our parents as if there is no prince of demons, as if there is no danger, as if the kingdom of God has not come down in Jesus Christ Himself and demanded a response from us. But Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. The clash between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Jesus is real. It was real in the garden when our first parents fell in sin. It was real on the cross when Jesus hung there for our sins. And it's real today in your life. And the kingdom of darkness would love to have you. Would love to have all of us. And it had the Pharisees and the scribes. And this is our second part. Whose house? Uh, Jesus says, this is what you people are like. Verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So what's happening here? What's Jesus saying? This is like demon repo, okay? Uh, it's uh, like the Pharisees and the scribes. Um, these people have appeared to respond to Jesus for a time, but they really haven't. And there were people who seemed to turn their life around, who seemed to devote themselves to Jesus, but they had actually just sort of put their houses in order. They had just swept and mowed the yard and made things look nice. And things looked pretty good for these people, right? Uh, but like the scribes and the Pharisees, it's just appearance. They cleaned their house, but they didn't invite Jesus in. They're spiritually empty. Their house might be sterile, but it's unlocked, it's unguarded, it's unfilled with faith in Christ. And so the demon returns. In the parable, he never really left, right? He says, I'll return to my house. And so he goes back, and unbelief takes root again, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So in some ways, it's the same thing we're talking about. There's no neutrality. A clean house, an empty house, a sterile house is no better than a dirty one. In fact, it might be worse. So what does a sterile house look like? Well, a sterile house looks like a Pharisee's heart. It looks like someone who has it all together on the outside. They appear morally upright and clean cut with all the right stances on all the right social issues, solid on doctrine, maybe even at church every time the doors are open. But there is no love for Christ. And grace is standing 
at the door and knocking, but they're not opening the door. There's no joy and satisfaction in Christ and in His person, in His work. There's no drive to become more like Him every day. There is no faith. In other words, even if your life is as scrubbed as it can be, even if all the worst parts of you are tucked really neatly out of sight, if you're not filled with Jesus, you're filled with sin. That makes you a part of the other kingdom. That puts you outside of Christ's kingdom. And that sounds harsh, but it's what Jesus says. He says there is no middle ground. There are no spiritual Switzerlands here. No one is neutral. Nobody is just okay. That's what's hard for us to understand, I think. That's part of the problem. Because we want to live in like an okay world, right? We want to live in a world that's pretty good. Uh, that's, that's what our conversations look like, right? How are you doing? Pretty good. Can't complain. Not too shabby. I'm doing all right. It's like we love to just be in the middle. We don't want to be messed up because that will draw people's attention. But some of us also don't kind of want to be all that great because it's easy to just be in the middle, with everybody else, and sort of be like, yeah, things are normal, I'm good, I'm with everybody else, right? But some things are just black and white, and there is no middle, there is no gray, and this is one of them. This might be the chief one of them. There's no middle ground. You're in or you're out, you're lost or you're saved, you're inside God's kingdom or you're outside. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us asking which kingdom we belong to. It leaves us examining our lives and our hearts and trying to discern where are we? Whose house is this? Is Jesus here and does he fill it? And that's where verses 27 and 28 help us, I think. This is our, our last section. So the tension is high, right? Jesus has been accused and he's responded, and now a voice comes from the crowd, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. In other words, blessed be your mother. It must be incredible to be your mother. It's a woman shouting this and, and she's exercising a really special kind of bravery in this mixed crowd with the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers. But, uh, assumedly, she's just overcome with this and she's seen these people react in unbelief to Jesus she wants to express her belief. And so she raises her voice. Luke, in particular, as a gospel writer, is always showing us uh, Jesus' kindness towards women. And so Jesus responds, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It might seem like he's denying what she says, but he's not denying it. He's just, he's just adding to it. He's just perfecting it. He's emphasizing it. Who can be blessed in this war of kingdoms? Who can be sure that they're in the Lord's army? It's those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus is saying, if you listen to me, if you respond in faith and obedience to my word, then you'll be blessed. In other words, don't just hear the word, respond to it, obey it. We've already seen a non-response is a response. A non-response is a denial. But blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So how does this help? 
How does that help us? How does that all tie together? Well, first, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the finger, by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, this has happened, hasn't it? Jesus has been born, born of a woman, born under the law. He lived a perfect life on earth. He performed many miracles and he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. And on the third day, he was raised again. That's the gospel. That's the good news that the stronger man has raided Satan's palace. He's plundered and he's rescued his people that the kingdom is here. As we often say in Christianity, the kingdom is not yet. Jesus won the victory on the cross and the end is secure, but the skirmishes are still going on in our world and in our heart. It's like the cross was D-Day, right? But, but V-E-Day isn't here yet. The decisive blow has fallen, but we haven't gotten all the fruits. We haven't uh, finish things. And that's going to be when Jesus returns. And on that day, there's going to be no question as to who is in whose kingdom. And so we're compelled to ask, whose side am I on? The best diagnostic tool we have to figure it out is the Word of God. How do you respond to the Word? Do you listen to it? Do you obey it? Do you treasure it? In your heart, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Have you responded to God's word? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in the word become flesh that dwelt among us? And if you haven't, if you're trying to live in this sort of moral middle ground to just sort of be okay, then look at the parable of the unclean spirits. You can't do it. The last state will be worse than the first. And the irony is that Jesus never tells us to clean everything up before He comes. He never does. In fact, if you try to clean everything up before He comes, then you're actually disqualified. That means you don't understand. No, we are all hoarders of sin. We have it stacked like cordwood in our houses, and there's no cleaning it up before Jesus comes. We have to throw open the doors and let Jesus come in and cleanse us. Jesus has to come in as is. But if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you know that you're a member of His kingdom by faith, then Jesus has already fought for you. Ephesians Two says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. And that's what all of us are like before faith. But then grace was poured out on us. Christ Jesus has broken into our sinful hearts. He's broken into the place that the devil thought he had on lockdown. He smashed his way in. He attacked him and he overcame him. And he claimed you as his own. And that's hard to understand. It is. And it's hard to believe, but we should 
We should marvel at it. We should marvel in the same way that the crowds marveled at the way the demon, or the way Jesus threw the demon out of that man, out of the mute man. We should marvel at what he's done in our lives. Colossians says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He took us out of the kingdom of Satan and He put us into His kingdom, into a world of love and hope and faith. And it should cause us to worship Him. Should cause us to gather like this and sing songs to our rescuer and of our rescuer. We should tell of his mighty works. We should tell people where we used to be and where we are now. Moreover, all this should give us hope because the battle still rages in us and around us. And we still grind through days of encouragement or discouragement, rather, uh, and confusion and pain. And and days when our own sin or the sin of others or just the brokenness of this world beat us down. And there are days when we don't believe that the kingdom has really come. When our sinful hearts want to give up, just want to run away and desert. And those are the best days to throw yourself on Jesus Christ. To throw yourself on His love and His mercy. See, He's the stronger man, right? And if you're in Christ, if He's in you by faith, then God's grace and mercy can never leave you. There are no deserters in God's army. There are no reverse jailbreaks. Believe by faith and you're set free. And now you're being changed day in and day out because Christ has already claimed you and you are His. And you're going to grow more and more like Him every day until the day He returns, until the day day His kingdom is here fully and finally. We can rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. Thank you that you sent your son uh, into enemy territory, into this earth. Uh, And though we turned on him and though we scorned him and hated him, uh, at just the right time, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. Um, And that's us, Lord. Uh, We have nothing but by your grace. And we pray for more of it, for more of your mercy. We pray that it would lead us to repentance. We pray that you would change us to grow more and more like your son, and that we would uh, respond to your word this morning in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that you would be glorified in that and that you would be glorified in us because you deserve it. Because Christ Jesus came, he set the prisoners free, and he deserves all of our worship. We pray all this in Christ's name, Lord. Amen.